I guess this is it, Joel said, leaning into the doorway of our apartment. His eyes darted as if he was trying to memorize every detail of the turn-of-the-century New York two-story, the one we'd bought together five years ago and renovated in happier times. It was a sight. The entryway, with its delicate arch, the old mantle we'd found at an antique store in Connecticut and carted home like treasure, and the richness of the dining room walls. We'd agonized about the paint color, but finally settled on Morocco red, a shade that was both wistful and jarring, a little like our marriage. Once it was on the walls, he thought it was too orange. I thought it was just right. Our eyes met for a second, but I quickly looked down at the dispenser in my hands and robotically pried off the last piece of packing tape, hastily plastering it on the final box of Joel's belongings that he'd come over that morning to retrieve. Wait, I said, recalling a fleck of a blue leather-bound hardback I'd seen in the now sealed box. I looked up at him accusatorily. Did you take my copy of Years of Grace? I had read the novel on our honeymoon in Tahiti six years prior, though it wasn't the memory of our trip I wanted to eulogize with its tattered pages. Looking back, I'll never know how the 1931 Pulitzer Prize winner by the late Margaret Ayer Barnes ended up in a dusty stack of complimentary books in the resort's lobby. But as I pulled it out of the bin and cracked open its brittle spine, I felt my heart contract with a deep familiarity that I could not explain. The moving story told in its pages of love and loss and acceptance, of secret passions and the weight of private thoughts, forever changed the way I viewed my own writing. It may have even been the reason why I stopped writing. Joel had never read the book, and I was glad of it. It was too intimate to share. It read to me, like the pages of my unwritten diary. Joel watched as I peeled the tape back and opened the box, digging around until I found the old novel. When I did, I let out a sigh of emotional exhaustion. Sorry, he said awkwardly. I didn't realize you... He didn't realize a lot of things about me. I grasped the book tightly, then nodded and retaped the box. I guess that's everything, I said, standing up. He glanced cautiously toward me, and I returned his gaze this time. For another few hours, at least until I signed the divorce papers later that afternoon, he would still be my husband. Yet it was difficult to look into those dark brown eyes, knowing that the man I had married was leaving me for someone else. How did we get here? The scene of our demise played out in my mind like a tragic movie, the way it had a million times since we'd separated. It opened on a rainy Monday morning in November. I was making scrambled eggs smothered in Tabasco, his favorite, when he told me about Stephanie. The way she made him laugh. The way she understood him. The way they connected. I pictured the image of two Lego pieces fusing together, and I shuddered. It's funny. When I think back to that morning... I can actually smell burned eggs and Tabasco. Had I known that this was what the end of my marriage would smell like, I would have made pancakes. I looked once again into Joel's face. 
His eyes were sad and unsure. I knew that if I rose to my feet and threw myself into his arms, he might embrace me with the love of an apologetic husband who wouldn't leave, wouldn't end our marriage. But no, I told myself, the damage had been done. Our fate had been decided. Goodbye, Joel, I said. My heart may have wanted to linger, but my brain knew better. He needed to go. Joel looked wounded. Emily, I... Was he looking for forgiveness? A second chance? I didn't know. I extended my hand as if to stop him from going on. Goodbye, I said, mustering all my strength. He nodded solemnly, then turned to the door. I closed my eyes and listened as he shut it quietly behind him. He locked it from the outside, a gesture that made my heart seize. He still cares. About my safety, at least. I shook my head and reminded myself to get the locks changed. Then listened as his footsteps became quieter, until they were completely swallowed up by the street noise. My phone rang sometime later, and when I stood up to get it, I realized that I'd been sitting on the floor engrossed in years of grace ever since Joel left. Had a minute passed? An hour? Are you coming? It was Annabelle, my best friend. You promised me you wouldn't sign your divorce papers alone. Disoriented, I looked at the clock. Oh, sorry, Annie, I said, fumbling for my keys and the dreaded manila envelope in my bag. I was supposed to meet her at the restaurant 45 minutes ago. I'm on my way. Good, she said. I'll order you a drink. The Calumet, our favorite lunch spot, was four blocks from my apartment. And when I arrived, 10 minutes later, Annabelle greeted me with a hug. Are you hungry? She asked after we sat down. I sighed. No. Annabelle frowned. Carbs, she said, passing me the bread basket. You need carbs. Now, where are those papers? Let's get this over with. I pulled the envelope out of my bag and set it on the table, staring at it with the sort of caution one might reserve for dynamite. 